Welcome to the Build My Online Store podcast, where we discuss everything and anything about running an online store. If you like the podcast, sign up for the mailing list to get news and updates at buildmyonlinestore.com. And now, here's your host, Terry Lynn. Welcome to episode 71 of the Build My Online Store podcast. I'm your host, Terry, and this week I've got Chris Damhorst, owner of Damhorst Toys, where they are the original makers of the name puzzle stool since 1971. So in this episode, we're going to talk about customer service lessons, being in business for over 40 years across two generations. The business was started originally by their parents in 1971. So it's very interesting to hear their story on how they nurtured customer relationships throughout the years and how some of them are being repeat customers, now, kind of in the second or third generation. Also, some of the old school business lessons that Chris talks about that should be applied online and that can really make your e-commerce business stand out. So before we get into this week's episode, uh, it's a super long one because I actually talked to Chris for about an an hour and a half. So I'll make this quick. Uh, Right now I'm testing out Shipwire, which is a 3PL fulfillment center. And so for those who may uh, aren't sure about 3PL, basically it's a third party logistics. Uh, So when you get an order on say your big commerce or Shopify store, what happens is it it tells a warehouse where to send the order. So basically your inventory is held there, either in one of the warehouses in Los Angeles, New York, Chicago, London, uh, Hong Kong, and I believe next year they'll have one in Sydney and in Brazil. So basically you can have a global footprint uh, without really investing in warehousing and kind of what kind of the big multinationals like Walmart, uh, Lee and Fung, what those guys have. So in my case, uh, I'm using Big Commerce, so I'm linking it through a app called Shapiro. And I believe that's the only way it links together now with Shipwire and Big Commerce. So I'll write a blog post about how that works. And so what I did was I sent about four boxes of dummy orders in a box and I'll be testing them out and sending them to some friends, uh, probably one in London, one in New York and one here in Asia, just to see kind of how their service works. And so they actually have a 30 day free trial when you want to test this out and all you have to do is pay for the shipping. So figured why not test it out, spend maybe, you know, 40, 50 bucks on shipping just to see uh, how the service works. Because the last thing you want to do is, you know, send all your inventory to some warehouse and then have them mess it up. So uh, we're trying out and I'll let you guys know how it goes. So with that being said, uh, let's get into this week's episode. So welcome to the show, Chris. Uh, real quick, who are you and what do you do? Uh, well, my name is uh, Chris Damhorst. Um, I own Damhorst Toys and Puzzles uh, Incorporated. We're a small toy manufacturing company that's based out of Herman, Missouri, which is uh, basically right in the middle of the United States. And uh, we, we manufacture everything right out of our location in Herman, Missouri. And we, we're primarily online retail. We make uh, personalized wooden children's toys. And uh, it was a company that was started by my parents in 1971. So we're uh, we're over 40 years old right now, and uh, and still chugging along happily. Wow! So you basically grew up as a kid into this business, huh? Yeah, I did. So my parents went full time with this business when I was eight years old. So they originally started uh, part time in 1971. And they did did it out of their basement in a, in a little house just outside of North St. Louis. And uh, then they decided to go full-time in 1976. That's when, you know, I really kind of saw things up close because I, I remember the lean years. I, I really do. That, um, 
you know, my mom would be kind of upset at the breakfast table coming down in the morning and, and uh, wondering how things were going to work out. And my dad was, was telling her that everything's going to be fine. And, and uh, they just, they had in their mind, and I remember them saying this, is as long as they worked hard, they couldn't fail. They, they definitely, you know, worked hard, that's for sure, and, and fine-tuned and, and found their niche and found their way, because neither one of them were business people at all. But I think they were smart people, and uh, they, they made the right decisions, didn't take on any debt at all. They just worked really hard, and, and, um, and it ultimately worked out for them. So, yeah, I grew up around that. I went off to school, ultimately, and, and I didn't start right into the business. I had... Um, about 12 years in the uh, in the corporate world that really helped. I don't think my parents were really super interested in having me come work for them right out of school. I think they wanted me to kind of have a little bit of my own life and um, kind of develop kind of who I was going to be, I think. Then when uh, when my dad started getting sick and ultimately passed away, my mom had some interest in, in selling the company. And then my youngest sister and I bought it together. That's how we ultimately got into it. And we've owned it for uh, 10 years now. So we took over in 2004. Going into 2014, that'll be our, will be, after this year, will be our 10th year. So you guys have basically bootstrapped before this term was even probably like the buzzword now, right? <laughs> yeah, they bootstrapped because there was no money. I mean, they, um, I'll tell you, their first house was financed by the owner of the house. So when they went full time and they needed some more room because they were just in the small basement in their first home, that we moved out to a, a small farm, which is about uh, 40 miles west of St. Louis. They financed through the owner, and uh, they basically just scrimped and saved. So every show that they did, they do these craft shows, and they would sell their products there because, you know, there was no Internet then, and, and uh, they really didn't have, um, you know, much money for any kind of mail marketing program. But they could drive out to these shows, you know, afford the entry fee, sell, you know, some of their products, take some orders, you know, make a little bit of money and then use that for the materials for the next one. And they just slowly, you know, built it up from there. And it, and it was kind of a long haul. And, and as they went to these shows, they learned, you know, they learned what worked and, and what markets were better for them. We ultimately started doing shows in Chicago. And that was really kind of a tipping point for us because Chicago was, you know, a little bit of a, a higher end market. You know, there was a little bit more disposable income at, at those craft shows that we went to. And as a result, you know, they could sell more items. So it, it, it completely made sense to kind of expand outside of our, our normal area that we were in. And, and uh, that ultimately took us as far north as, as uh, Newport, Rhode Island, down to Florida. We went as far west as Park City, Utah, and all places in between, you know, Georgia and Texas and Arkansas and Oklahoma and Kansas. And it just goes on and on, you know, that we really traveled a lot in those first years. And that was, you know, my parents' marketing plan. That's how they got out to their customers. And, and we still have customers today that, that buy from us um, as a result of those shows that they saw us at, you know, back in the, in the 1980s. Yeah, like I'll go into that a little bit later, but it was just really pounding the pavement, kind of getting out there, getting out of the building too, right? Because I guess, did they ever consider like retail going into stores or was it just like not possible with kind of the finances that was a little bit tight? They did, actually. In fact, they went with some high-end stores, surprisingly, in, in uh, some of the earlier years, and that was uh, Saks Fifth Avenue and Neiman, Neiman Marcus and also another smaller specialty shop called The Children's Shop. And the problems that they ran into was they were slow paying, and I'm sure there are probably businesses out there that run into the same issue, where you know typically terms are net 30, and it was getting like 90, 120 days, you know, in some cases 180 days. At that time, they were a cash flow business. I mean, that's how they, 
you know, continued to buy materials, you know, from payments from, from orders or, you know, wholesale accounts. But when they were slow pays, it just, it, it started to break, break down and fall apart. So they ultimately got away from wholesale. They drummed that into our heads uh, when we were little. I remember, you know, asking why we weren't doing, you know, the, the Neiman Marcus or Saks Fifth Avenue stuff anymore. And that was because they were, they were a little bit on the slowing pay, slower, pay, slower to pay side. Um, and it took me a little while to get back into wholesale. We do wholesale now, but I went in reluctantly only because of <laughs> what the experiences that my folks had back a long time ago. But uh, yeah, it was it was all basically from ground up. No loans. They were very weary about taking on any debt. I don't know that anybody would have lent them any money anyway. You know. Were you going to these trade shows with them, like the arts and crafts show, when you were a kid? Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. In fact, uh, I have two sisters. And the youngest one, Megan, and I own the company now, and we have a middle sister, Molly, and uh, we all rode in the back of uh, of the, these big box trucks, um, typically behind the seats of the driver and the uh, and the passenger, and we went all over with them. And you know, it was a great experience for me because in some cases we got really busy at the shows, and you know, I I started selling and talking to the customers and bagging up product and answering questions and taking orders. And it really helped me, I think, as, as a child, kind of uh, just develop the, the customer service skills that, that I, you know, I still use today and that I was there at the shows. You know, typically customers are like, oh, I remember seeing you at the Coconut Grove Art Festival down in Florida. You know, your parents there. And I said, oh, yeah, I was I was there, too. Definitely. So uh, and we we helped with um, unpacking and, and setting up the booze and. And I'll tell you, it was an unspoken rule that when it started raining at any one of those shows, because, you know, we'd go off and we had other kids that we knew that had families that did shows too. Whenever it started raining, we all better start running back to the booze. And that was true for the other kids because uh, you had to help with the tarps and get everything going. So, you know, don't be slow coming back to the booth when it's raining. Yeah. One thing like online now, it's really easy to hide behind a website and on your computer when you're building your online store. So what do you think is the biggest lesson you've learned kind of being out there on the ground with your parents, talking to customers and really interacting. Yeah, I think that you really have to make yourself accessible, that you have to talk to customers and that if there's a problem with an order or, or a product that, you know, you don't hide behind your employees. You know, I give out my cell phone number to uh, to my customers that, and I tell them if they have any problems at all, if I feel like they're lacking in confidence with our abilities or if we made a mistake or something along those lines, I want them to know that the owner of the company is, is heavily involved and that is not afraid to talk to customers because I think these days now so many owners put those responsibilities off on their employees and I just I think it says a lot about you know a company now we're a small company and I can do that I understand that you know larger companies that may not make sense but as the son of the original owner uh, the original owners that it's it's good for me to talk to these longtime customers because um, you know I think it, it really creates that connection and makes them think that hey you know I'll buy from these people again because if I have a problem I can talk to the owner I, he gave me his cell phone number and that's that's unique these days so if it's something that you can do definitely I, I mean you know and I've had customers that have been upset and and uh, you know sometimes they just want to vent and they want to know that they've been heard you know maybe it's something that we did or maybe it's something that's out of our control. Um, but at least they felt like they talked to somebody who was in charge. And, and I, that's, that's really, really important to me. It also becomes your advantage too, right? Because big companies can't add this personal touch to their customer service. Oh, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. In fact, um, you know, sometimes they're a little bit surprised. 
because I always identify myself as the owner and that, you know, if you have any problems at all, please feel free to call me. Here's my direct line. And they're, they're kind of taken back a little bit. They're like, oh, okay, hold on one second, you know, and they'll, they'll write it down and it's great. Because, uh, you know, our customers are repeat customers. Most of them are. That's what we need to make sure that we focus on is keeping those repeat customers happy or turning the new customer into a repeat customer. And if there's any problems at all that, that you know, that they walk away happy um, or at least know they've, they've been heard um, and that they can get back in touch with me. The, guys, the next question is how many people actually call you when you give out your cell number like that? You know, surprisingly, not that many, really. You know, because uh, I'm hoping by the time that they're finished talking with me that their problem's taken care of. And, you know, at first I was a little bit nervous about that, I'll be honest with you, that I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to hand out the number. It's the right thing to do. But am I going to really be sorry for this? And uh, and I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm, I'm doing it. I was surprised. I mean, people really don't, you know don't really call. And I'm hoping because they're happy and, and uh, that they haven't had any problems. There's a few that uh, they just they just know me. We usually talk about the old days or I tell them a story about my parents or, you know, the company. And, and I think that that's fun for them. I mean, I have customers that I know by name. Obviously, they call me and I'm like, yeah, how's it going? And, you know, what have you been up to? And I know, his, you know, their mother's been sick or something. So just it's probably a handful. I, I bet I could count them all on one hand. Yeah. All right. So we'll go into that a little bit later. I want to go into your products a little bit. So you guys have been in business for you know, 40 plus years. So what makes, well, what are your toys and what makes them different? We're the original manufacturer of the name Puzzle Stool. And uh, that was what really got the company going. It's a personalized name Puzzle Stool that basically it sits nine inches off the ground. It's got four legs. And the child's name is cut into the stool top and the letters of the child's name are removable and they're painted in the primary colors. That really was something new back in the late 70s. And as a result, it, um, it, it really catapulted the company you know, forward. I think that's really what made us unique. We were personalized then. I don't think a lot of people were doing personalized items back then. My folks were the type of people that wanted to make something that was you know, going to last a long time. So the things are built like tanks. So as a result, these, these name puzzle stools have stayed in families. And, and they've stayed with these children all the way up through college. And, and now we have customers that receive stools when they were a child and they're buying them now for their children. So when they were built, they were built strong enough to withstand a childhood. And as a result, because they were personalized, quite honestly, it's hard to get rid of something that's personalized. I mean, you don't just throw it away. And it's something that's, you know, functional too. So I hear stories about, you know, kids in their teens that are using these stools to get up into their closets to get their sweaters down. Um, you know, parents are using them in the kitchen to, you know, reach the high cupboards. So it's, it's functional, it's personalized, it's a memory that they got when their child typically was first born or within their first year or second year. So it's hard to get rid of. So it's, it's kind of like this, this constant around their home. And, uh, and whenever they have a, a new baby that comes into the family or another friend that's having a baby, they, they see and remember the stool and, and uh, you know, that's personalized. So it kind of goes above and beyond a little bit on the gift-giving side. And, um, and, and that's really what has kept us in business, I think, all these years is that, you know, it's, it's something that has lasted, that's a good memory for the families and uh, is, a, is a nice gift to give because the reception that they get or the feedback they get from the person that they gave it to is really positive. So it, it, it makes them feel good giving the gift. It seems like a very functional product. Right? Like I'm looking at the website now. You could like use it as a regular stool and stuff like that, but you have the names that you can put in kind of in the middle too. So. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, a, you know, it's it's an educational thing. And, and, you know, Terry, you and I talked about this a little bit more is that having a product that's multifunctional 
is just is just huge. You know, it serves more than just one purpose. Kids can learn their colors because we, you know, we follow the primary color scheme of the rainbow. They learn their name because, uh, you know, obviously the letters are, are removable, so they learn each letter of their name. And, you know, it was funny because, I, you know, like you said, I grew up around this. But when I had my own kids, you know, my son actually knew uh, each color of each letter of his name without me really prompting him. And he had mentioned he was talking about, you know, the red J. I didn't know what he was talking about at first, but then he pointed to his stool and I was like, oh, I said, well, what color is your, you know, the A? And he knew that color. And, and uh, so they really soak this stuff up. And, and parents that work with their kids when they're trying to, you know, teach them their names and the colors, I mean, this it, it's just perfect for that. In fact, we had one customer that takes two legs off on one side and it, and it you know, makes the, the stool kind of tilt down on one edge and then their baby that's you know they can't even walk yet they put them on their belly in front of the stool and they kind of you know pull at the letters um you know while it's while it's still on the ground before they can walk so you know the the kids are just naturally drawn to them it's 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 amazing and the crazy part is like once someone grows up it's kind of hard to throw away because it's kind of like you're throwing away a piece of your childhood right something that's personalized for you you kind of grew up with as a kid and i guess it gets really hard to let go well, yeah, we hear these stories, too, that these kids will um, take their stools with them to college. And in some cases, the parents are kind of like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, you know, they, they've, you know, I've heard stories where they wanted to keep them at the house because it reminds, just like you said, I mean, the parents of, of them when they were babies. But then, you know, the kids remember them because they grew up with them, you know, in their room. So it's a little piece of home that I think they want to take with them to the dorm or, you know, to their first apartment or wherever it might be. So, you know, that wasn't, I don't think my parents' intention from the beginning. It's it's something that that evolved, you know, on its own. But yeah, the personalization is, is really a powerful, powerful thing. It's it's amazing. It kind of reminds me of uh, Toy Story 3. I don't know if you saw it, you know, in the end when he has to throw away all his toys or leave it before he goes to college. Yeah, yeah. I've gone through that experience, you know, when we had to clean out, you know, uh, unfortunately, my mom passed away two years ago. And and we had to clear out a lot of stuff, and and you know you can't uh, you know can't keep it all. I mean, there was so much stuff, and my parents didn't get rid of anything. So you know you can totally understand what's the one thing that you're going to keep, and and uh, you know I think the stool has has been in that list on that um, you know on that short list anyway. Martin, so let's go back into the business a little bit. So you mentioned you guys you know since you were little kids going to these art fairs, really just pounding the pavement, getting sales. So when did you guys decide to have the online store? I was in tech at that time. Uh, in the Silicon Valley, and um, I had been working for a, for a um, uh, for a tech company for a little while, and my mom was really technical too, and she really liked computers and was fascinated by the whole online internet thing, and she knew she needed and wanted to be in that space. So she, in 1998 is when they actually went live with their first website, and uh, you know it was it was basically a friend that knew how to put it together, and and um, there was no SSL certificate on there either too, and I mean it was you had to total your own you know total, um, there was no automatic totaling there. They didn't take credit cards at the time. We had to call the customers back, I think, because the shopping there, you know, there wasn't really a, a good solid working shopping cart feature. I think at one point too, it was like, you know, they were putting credit card numbers in with no SSL. I mean, those are the wild west days, right? Of the internet in the beginning, ultimately got an SSL because customers were starting to complain about that. I mean, there were customers out there that knew better 
than than we did and um so that prompted us to get an ssl we changed the shopping cart around a little bit and there were um you know luckily luckily we came across a shopping cart that really worked for us and that was something that um you know that we could kind of you know fix to the business because we had a lot of options on the products too so there's some sophistication in that you know with a shopping cart did you always want to go into family business uh, since you were young or because I mean you mentioned you had a gap there where you were kind of in the tech space right out of college I didn't I think that I kind of wanted to be on my own a little bit um, I had worked in the business you know typically in the summer times for uh, you know for money for school you know that kind of thing you know it's it's still your parents and you know you're a young adult and you don't necessarily want your parents as your boss when you come out of school so I wasn't raring to get into the business so as a result I mean I I knew something was going to have to happen down the road. I guess I wasn't sure exactly what was going to happen. And another thing, too, is my parents weren't exactly begging us to come back. They kind of made it clear that, you know, it, it wasn't an, an option right out of school. It was good for us, and I think I think they really wanted that for us. I think they were a little bit smarter, you know, than, than myself at the time. And, and they're like, you know, go out get a career, get some experience, and we'll see what happens. And then as they got older and things started to change, and, you know, my dad passed away in 2001, and uh, my mom was still running the business, you know, just fine. She was an equal and integral part of the business as he was, that uh, she started to get older and, and started to realize that, you know, she wanted to retire. And at that point, you know, my wife and I were in a position where we thought, you know, this could be, you know, the right thing for us because we had a, we had a really young family at the time. And it was a full buy-sell, too. I mean, uh, you know, I think my mom was nervous that we'd get in there and, and you know, not do a good job or maybe, uh, you know, auger it into the ground because, um, you know, second-generation businesses, I mean, they're, they're, their ability to keep things going is, is pretty remote and, and uh, you know, the odds aren't good. And she knew that. And uh, so she was like, I think the best thing for me is just to sell you it directly and put the financing together and, and let's do this whole thing as a buy-sell. And, um, and that's what we did. And it, and it worked out. I mean, it really did. It was kind of the best thing for all of us because I think she would have still been in there if, uh, if she knows she still owned the business and was just turning it over to us. So as a result, she was like, you know, it's going to be kind of an all or nothing for you. And I think she, she knew that, that we would be all in then at that point. And, and essentially we were. So, um, so it was good. It was good. It worked out well. Worked out very well. That's really odd that like you guys had to buy sell because I think like because I'm living in Asia, I think most tend to just pass it along. Kind of there's a different mindset, right? Whereas I think with when you buying it, you're you have a lot more skin in the game. Oh yeah, oh yeah, absolutely. And um, you know, I made sure those payments to her monthly were on time, and and you know that we were serious because she would pop in pretty regularly when we first took over. You know, my mom was really conscious of expenses. And in fact, when we first got into the business, I think all the office chairs were broken or, you know, like the most uncomfortable chairs you could ever imagine. And I, I remember coming in, you know, full time finally. And, and I was talking to my sister and some of the employees and I was like, does anybody's bottom hurt as much as mine does this these chairs are the worst and and uh, so one of the first things that we did was we bought all new chairs for for the office and I thought that she was going to come in and maybe kind of reprimand us or give us a little bit of a dirty look and and uh, but she usually came in and sat down you know with us in the office and um, 
And in our office, we don't have individual offices. It's like one big room and we have these tables. It's They're not even cubes. They're just, it's like this one big communal office. So she would come in and sit down in the chairs and she sat down. The first thing she said was, wow, these chairs are really comfortable. So she didn't give us too much trouble after that. So, But she was very, very conscious of, of expenses, was afraid that maybe we wouldn't be as conscious as she was. And uh, when you're in it like that and you're, you know, you're financed and, you know, you, you watch your expenses, you know, real, real carefully. And, and uh, you know, that's that's another thing that we really learned from them watching, you know, watching uh, as the business grew. They were they were always very conscious about expenses. How did you guys structure that deal? Like, I'm really curious because because there's one sense where, you know, no one wants to get like the bad side of the deal. Like, how did you guys figure that out? Let's see. I had been in the uh, I'd worked for Ford Motor Company for a number of years. So I had I had seen some some buy sells go down with dealerships. So I kind of basically, you know, put it in those terms was is that um, there was some blue sky involved. So there was some value in the company that wasn't there in collateral assets, you know, in, in physical assets. That was probably the, the toughest part is trying to negotiate on, you know, what was fair. And, and I do have to say that, you know, my mom did give us a lower price than regular market value. She def- definitely did that. But I think it took her a little while to get comfortable with that because the negotiations went on for like a year and a half. I mean, at, at one point, I didn't think it was going to happen. I mean, I really didn't. And my, you know, and my wife was like, uh, what, what's going on with this? And, and I'm like, I'm not sure we're, we're working at it. So it was sometimes hard to sit down and, and start to really talk hard numbers because I don't know, I don't know if she was like super comfortable with, with the price that she was giving or if she was nervous about us taking over. You know, ultimately we, we came to a price and, and that included Blue Sky and, and, and we had a 12 year, 12 year term and, and uh, we're still, still kind of dealing with that. So we've got, I think, another two years left on, on the deal. Especially because I think parents don't, you know, the parents wouldn't want to overcharge the kid, but they don't want to just give it to you either. So, well, and she's thinking about her retirement as well, too. You know, I'm sure. Awesome. All right. So, let's move on into the business a bit. So, how big is the whole team now besides you and your sister? So, besides me and my sister, we're at 13 employees and uh, we have two part timers uh, out of that 13. So, basically, what is that? Uh, 11 full time and then two part time. Um, and then my sister and myself make 15 basically for for all all said total employees yeah well i'm just trying to get a size of your business like is it is it appropriate to say you guys are kind of like in the five million range annual sales around that ballpark or no 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 much lower than that yeah because it sounds like a huge operation with like 12 13 people so (laughs) yeah um no it, it works out it works out great yeah we're not we're not very big i think people think we're a lot bigger than we are and i think they're surprised to find out that um you know that uh that we only have you know, uh, 13 employees and that we're kind of in a small shop. And, and actually, I think I sent you the copy of the um, the company video that I put together. You know, that's a, a picture of our building is in that uh, is in that YouTube video. You know, they're not they're not fancy digs. Uh, I was a little bit nervous about that because I think people have a perception in their head of, of what we look like and how we operate. And, I, and you never want to burst that bubble because it's always kind of um, I'm sure it's different than than what the reality is. I just remember seeing some businesses that, um, you know, I had a picture in my head of what they were like and then i saw their actual facility and i was like oh huh, not not as nice as i thought so. changes your image of the whole thing it does uh, it does a little bit and that makes me nervous because you know i want to make sure that everybody obviously has a positive image of the, of, of the company but um you know that's a function of expenses i mean you know you, you don't go out and buy a big brand new building with a big fancy lobby you know a body shop works just fine keep your costs down yeah like when i was in china visiting my supplier 
you know, you look at like those Gucci, Louis Vuitton actual factories. I mean, there's an image of what you see in their marketing material, right? But then when you actually go there, you're like, oh, it's not that special. Yeah. Yep. Oh, absolutely. 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 So for sure. For yeah. Sure. And so you're saying how the business is mostly uh, online now. Like how does the breakdown work with wholesale? Like is it like an 80-20 split between online and offline or how does that work out? Yeah, it's pretty close. Um, I, I think that's a real close number probably. I mean, if we really got down, I think it's like 85-15 you know, 15 for online versus office or phone orders. And then of that online, our wholesale is really pretty small. I think we're only about um, 5%, 6% wholesale. So we only have, like, we have one big wholesale account and then um, a few small ones that uh, are, you know, kind of mom and pop, for lack of a better word, that are online retailers, but, uh, but do well, you know, online. And they, you know, they do well for their business and they, they sell a lot of our products, too. But uh, we really only have one big, you know, online wholesale account, and um, and it, and again, it accounts for kind of a small. I've never really wanted to be heavy in wholesale for for a number of reasons. You know, your business then is so based on theirs. Like if we lost the big wholesale account that I, that I mentioned, you know, it wouldn't kill us. But if we were, you know, ninety percent wholesale and three of those wholesale accounts were a majority of our business, I would I would be a lot more nervous than I am. Um, so it, 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 you know, it, it makes it kind of nice. And, you know, if those guys go out of business, which, you know, they do frequently, you know, that would really put us in a, in a tough position if we were a majority wholesale. Um, not to mention you have to make a lot more products in order to, you know, really create the revenue stream because, you know, you're selling at such a discounted rate that, um, you know, at some point it stops making sense. Yeah. And also the cash flows you were talking about, how they have the net 30, 120, sometimes they're late. These big organizations, it's delayed to like half a year. That's just crazy. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And and uh, we had that situation um, last year, maybe two years ago. I can't remember exactly. And I was getting, you know, I was getting relatively concerned. And, and uh, yeah, because the first thing they do when they start having a, a slow period is they stop paying. You know, they stop paying their, their suppliers. And, um, you know, we were on that list and, uh, you know, everything got squared away, but if we had walked away or they had walked away, it, you know, it's a considerable sum of money. It's just, it's just tough, but you know, that's, that's another reason why I really like retail a lot better and, and, um, you know, just more diversified and, and it's harder to go out of business. Cause you got to pay your manufacturers, your suppliers and everything on the team too. Like you guys have 12, 13 people. Oh yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and, uh, one thing, you know, we're really proud of is we've never had to lay anybody off. You know, we've never had to, to, you know, push somebody's paycheck out a week because we couldn't make payroll. You know, we're, we're really, really conscious about that. And, and, uh, you know, we play all of our, it's amazing how many incentives are available now when you pay on time, you know, I can, I can get an extra two and two and a half, maybe 5% off to pay on time. I'm like, oh my gosh, that, you know, that's, that's the reality that's out there. I'm, I'm not used to that because we usually pay all of our bills on time. So we're not in a situation where we have a big accounts receivable uh, because, you know, most of our orders are placed online before we actually make the item with a personalized item. Uh, unfortunately, we, we really need to take payment first before we make it. Because once it's made, it's not something that's easily resellable. So, um, you know, so usually our, our transactions are point of sale and uh, and we don't, you know, we don't have those issues. It's not because you get the money from the customer first, right? So you're essentially almost in a positive cash flow cycle unless some wholesaler just is slow and kind of drags you down from that side. Right, right. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So their credit card gets processed, uh, you know, after the order is placed and then uh, we make it and our turnaround time is usually two weeks. So, yeah, right. Our accounts receivable 
um, is is basically just uh, just what we show for um, for our wholesale accounts, and and even then that's you know it's a small percentage, and, and they've all done you know pretty well. And in most cases, in most cases, our smaller online retail they have to put a credit card in too. So we typically don't have net thirty for them um, that it's it's a point of sale transaction too where they put their credit card in. You know they're small enough that they their orders come in kind of onesie twosies. So we just basically have them enter in, in through the website and go from there. Gotcha. And so over the years, like, how have you guys kept competitors out of the market for, from like ripping off your ideas? Um, we haven't actually. We haven't. Uh, the what happened was the first copycats that came out were actually ex-employees of the business. So what happened was is that um, the uh, my my parents were, I don't they just I don't think they thought that that would happen, and and it did. We had hired friends, our family members, so it was kind of a family that did it. And uh, they were able to get in and get a hold of the uh, the checkbook information, found all the supplier information, and basically just started up literally like a mile and a half down the road from us, um, from our original location. That was frustrating for my parents. I know they really had a hard time with it. And they were showing up at the same craft shows that we were showing up at. And they was basically just a complete copy of, of what was going on. And then over the years, the same things, you know, have happened. Uh, we've had, you know, a number of other, there's probably four there's three in the U.S. I know three main competitors that make exactly what we make, and then there's one in Canada too. I did patent one item, and uh, my experience with that really wasn't that great, to be honest. It was, it was really expensive. Even if someone copied it, I would have to go after them legally, and it would probably cost me as much, you know, to go after them legally as probably what they would probably take, you know, whatever market share you might want to say from it. So. The only hopes that you can, you know, have from a patent, I think, is that you're going to try to scare someone off. But, you know, if they're making money with it and the legal expenses are, are, are going to fit within the profit margin, you know, they're going to do it. And meanwhile, it creates a lot of stress and it's time consuming for you and it's expensive. And and anytime lawyers get involved, it's just uh, it affects the bottom line so quickly, you know, so try to avoid legal action, you know, at, at, at any cost that you can. So. You know, we did patent once, and and um, I don't know. It's I don't know that I would do it again, really, for the expense that was involved. I mean, uh, the product does well for us. Um, it's actually our locomotive stool is the one that that I ended up patenting, and that's the one where the train basically you know goes around the track. So that one is patented. I mean, it's it's a, it's got a registered patent with it, but. Uh, you know, and that's another thing too is the lawyers come in and they quote you a price for the patent, and then before you know it, that that price is doubled. You know, and you're like, wait, what happened? And and uh, I ended up dropping the guy too because I mean, every twist and turn, he was like, well, do you want the international patent too? And I'm like, no, 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 I don't. I'm just fine in the U.S. And uh, the final stretches, I actually ended up registering it with the patent office myself because that was going to be like another. I don't know, thousand dollars or something to file two pieces of paper that I called an 800 number, and you know, so, so. you just have to be careful. And it's again watching those expenses. You know, how much can you do yourself? And and um, I've done a lot of stuff myself, sometimes to my detriment. You know, there are times when I've wasted time, but I think more often than not, doing it yourself, learning it yourself. If it's something that you're going to use down the road, it's it's worth the time investment to teach yourself how to do it. That's that's really been my experience, and and. Um, you know, to try to keep those expenses down, and and so far it's it's worked fairly well. Yeah, like I see your website, you've actually turned this into a marketing kind of strategy where you guys have like you're the original manufacturer of the puzzle store, right? Rather than you kind of just separating yourself from the copycats by saying that. 
We're trying, yeah, we're trying to say that, you know, we've been around a long time, you know, we've been doing this a long time, um, that we're family owned and operated. The stories and the customer comments that we put on there, I need to really kind of promote those a little bit more because they're, they're unsolicited and they're awesome. And sometimes they really just, you know, surprise me that, uh, you know, they talk about the quality and how long, I mean, we're, we're really moving into the second generation. That's, that's one thing where, you know, my phone has really been ringing a lot more. I'll, I'll just tell you a quick story was, is that our original phone number that we put on the bottom of our products was not a toll-free number because they, they couldn't afford a toll-free number at the time. It was a, just our regular home number, our house number. And, um, that, that number went out on products for years and years. And then, Probably, I want to say like 10 or 15 years after they started the company, the area codes changed. You know, just like most metropolitan areas, right? The the towns or the area grew up and it got so big that they had to create another area code. And that's what they did for our area. So we actually lost the original number that we had for the business because that was a 314 area code, which was more St. Louis. Anyway. What happened was is that we, you know, we had thought we should probably try to get that number back because there are probably customers that are still using that number to try to get in touch with us. So we tracked the number down, we called the guy, and um, he's like, yeah, these people have been calling me asking me if I make wooden children's toys, and I keep telling them no. And uh, so we ended up, um, you know, uh, asking him if he'd release the number. He said we would, and so we ended up getting it, and I made that my cell phone number. So... I get calls from customers that have ordered literally 30 years ago and they're like, oh, I'm so glad you're still in business. You know, I flipped the stool over for my son who's 31 now and this number was on the back and I thought, I'm just going to call it to see and they get me directly and I can tell them the whole story and, and do that. So, you know, that's been a, that's been a huge factor too is, is uh, you know, that consistency with staying in touch with our old customers through that number. Um, so that relationship over that, you know, that 30 years, it's starting to come back around again because their kids are having kids or they're having grandkids now and, uh, and they, they want to get in touch with us. So. Wow. That's crazy. That <laughs> blows my mind. Cause a lot of stores I talk to, like they're under five years old probably and still kind of bootstrapping or kind of when you, when you, when you're like a second generation business, it's like, it's a crazy perspective you have. Than most guests I have. Yeah, yeah, right. I mean, starting up now, uh, you know, because back then, I think when my parents were starting the business, there wasn't, you know, there, there weren't a whole, I mean, there were toys out there, obviously, but there were some major players and, you know, a lot of it was the plastic stuff. But, you know, there wasn't uh, a whole lot of, of wooden children's toys out there. There was a few, you know, but nowadays, nowadays, my goodness, I mean, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with Melissa and Doug. Um, it's a, it's a corporation now and, and they have a tr huge line of products from, you know, low quality to high quality. And, and, uh, so, you know, they're not heavily personalized. Um, but we, you know, that's our base that we've cultivated that has kept us in business all these years. Do, do you know what I mean? It's, it's the, yeah. it's that repeat business and, and those, all those stools that are out there in the homes now, you know, most of them haven't been thrown away and, and we're going into the second generation now too. So, you know, we don't, we don't have to compete heavily with, um, you know, the plastic segment, one, because we're wood, and, and two is, is that over the 40 years, you know, we, we, we have these relationships with these customers, and it's really not us, the company, it's our product. I talk to customers on a, on a regular basis daily, and but the relationship is with our product. That's that's what they like, and uh, and that's why they keep coming back or why they keep referring. If you're talking to other businesses out there and you're developing a product, it's like, you know, do you have that wow factor? Do you have that, that multi-dimensional factor? Do you, 
you know, you, you have to factor that in. I mean, marketing, you know, social media, all that's sure that's important. But I tell you, you know, it's it's the dog food uh, uh, scenario. Have you ever heard that example? Kind of, yeah. Like I've heard a strategy called like table selection, right? Like when you're playing poker, like you have to sit at the right table because really that depends like 80, 90% of how you perform. It's kind of like when you choose a product, you know, you want to make something that has a wow factor, like what you're talking about, right? Instead of just some generic kind of plastic toy that's out there in the mass market. Yeah, yeah. You know, there's a story about the dog food where it's like, oh, the dog food wasn't selling very well. Well, they changed the marketing, you know, then they changed the packaging, you know, then they changed the, uh, um, you know, the management within the company and all that. And it, you know, and, and ultimately what it was, the dogs just didn't like the food. You know, the dogs didn't like the dog food. They didn't eat it. So, uh, you know, you really got to start with a product first. And that's going to take care of a lot of your other problems that you ultimately might have when you're starting a business. There's another saying where they say uh, you can polish a turd, but it's still a turd, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, if anybody's out there with startups or, you know, your current product. And, and I think that's what we're trying to do, too, is, is that, you know, there are copycats out there and we have customers that tell us they're like, Oh, well, there's, you know, there are other stools out there too, you know, and I was like, yeah, no, I know it's, it's, uh, but look at the quality, you know, I mean, make sure because we're not the cheapest one out there, that's for sure. And the reason why we're not is because our materials don't allow us to offer that, that low retail price, but you really do get what you pay for. And, uh, I've, you know, we've purchased all of our competition's products and we have them all. And, uh, and we look at them, you know, they're not going to hold up. I mean, the materials that they use allow for them to offer it at a lower retail price. And that's, that's what we try to get across too. our letters are thicker, thicker and, and blockier and customers have told us that's what they like. So we stay with that. I can make a cheaper stool, but I won't, uh, cause it's a formula that works. It's, you know, they want that same product, that same experience that they had 30 years ago. You know, you don't change that. You, you know, you, you keep that consistent. And, and unfortunately, in some cases, that means a little bit higher price, you know, up against our competition. But, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to I'm not going to cave on that, unfortunately. Yeah. So over 40 years, like if you look at your customer base, what percent has been repeat purchase? If you even have an insight to this, we're probably in the in the 30 to 40 percent range, I got to say, because every when a customer places an order with us over the phone, we can pull, we, when we pull up their name, we pull up their whole record. So we immediately see how many stools that they've ordered from us before. And you know what? I, we're probably higher than that because almost every time they have at least one or two. And in some cases they have over a hundred. In fact, uh, we had a customer the other day had 163 orders in the system. And that system only goes back to 1996 when we switched over to that, that customer database. So it's probably higher than that if, they, if you go all the way back. So, you know, that, again, goes back to our customer base and, and, and you know, uh, all those shows that we did back in the 70s and the 80s and, and, and partly in the 90s. Um, it built that base and then it fanned out from there because somebody comes over to their house and they see the product and they're like, oh, that's cool. And they look over, you know, and they order it again. So every product is, is almost like a mini advertisement out there for us. And also when one kid grows up with it, they have their own kids. Usually they'll have more than one, right? They'll have two and then they'll buy two stools and then it kind of grows from there too, I guess. Yeah. And one thing, you know, you'll notice too is, is that when you start having kids, Typically, all your friends are having kids at the same time, too, or within a year or two years or three years of yourself. So, you know, you're going to baby showers and, and, you know, if you got this as a kid, then you gave it to your own child or your parents gave it to, you know, your child, um, their grandparents. 
then you end up giving it to your friends because it's just part of it. And, you know, we have customers all the time that say, this is a tradition in our family. We have, we have, you know, customers that call up and say, has somebody else ordered this? Because I want to be the first one to order it. And we had a pro, we had a problem with duplicate orders and, and, uh, we had to come up with a database. It's a living database that gets updated every day that we cross check, uh, shipping addresses. So all the orders, let's say for today, will get tr- cross checked against all the orders that have been placed within the last two years. And we'll see if we've sent anything to that shipping address in the past. And then we can pull that, that order up and look at it. And if it's the same item, then we call the customer back and say, hey, someone already, already ordered this item for, for this person. Would you like to switch out or we can you know, cancel the order, give your money back? You know, what do you want to do? Because we ran into this problem where customers would call up and they're like, I got two of these and I want to return one. Well you know, it might have the name Sybil on it or, or a name that we can't resell. So we're really in a tough spot. We're like, well, we can't, you know, it's a personalized item. We can't really take it back and give you a full refund because it's not something we can resell. So the strategy was to try to nip that in the bud before it happened. And, you know, before it was kind of like, oh, isn't this funny? It was a novelty at first. And this was 10 years ago. Well, now we're at the point where, you know, the kids that received them are really having kids now. So it's happening a lot. It, w- it was happening a lot. Now we've we've cut it down. We still have some that get by because, you know, it's just weird stuff. Like if they put apartment number or, you know, a pound sign for number, the number sign, then, you know, it won't match perfectly with the address, right? So we've had some that sneak through. And if it's something that we think we can resell, we'll take it back. Because I, I, I never like saying no. I hate saying no. Because, again, it goes, it goes back to that customer base that, you know, that's almost our marketing is, is that I'd rather take the hit on the stool, take it back and have a ha- happy customer than someone who's going to go out and not be happy and not spread the word because we are a word-of-mouth company. So, you know, if we're going to advertise, let's advertise by making that customer happy. And hopefully they go out and tell their friends and... and um, you know, we continue that 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 message because you have a real network effect built into your products, and friends are telling their friends, and kind of parents are giving it to their kids, and they're having kids now. And yeah, and it's babies. I mean, babies are so powerful. I mean, they it's such a big event in people's lives that um, you know they're really looking for something unique and and something personalized for a baby is just gigantic, right? Because they're they're new to the world. The name is new. You know, everything is changing. The grandparents, you know, they're excited because, you know, in some cases it's the first or second grandchild. Uh, The parents are excited. Um, You know, uh, aunts and uncles are excited. It's a new member of the family. It's just a big event. And, you know, you're you're right in the middle of that with your product. So there's a lot of talk going on about what what did the child get and what was the most favorite gift or, you know, what was the cutest or, you know all that so it's 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 a it's a huge gigantic event all right so this brings me into kind of like a marketing aspect of the business so do you still do you guys invest in like uh, seo any pay-per-click or is it mostly like through word of mouth i did pay-per-click for a while and i did it with facebook and i did it with google and it just didn't pay off for us um i i really think that at that point we were stepping out of our 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 normal circle that we work in and and then we were really competing with the big boys at that point you know with the pay-per-click and we you know we went into it like I did print marketing and I spent a ton of money on it in one city I remember it was Phoenix 
And uh, I thought, okay, I'm really going to go heavy. We're going to run an eight-month campaign. We're going to spend a lot of money, and we're going to see what happens. And it was just a dud. You know, breaking through that noise is so difficult that by doing it with pay-per-click, I mean, I, was, I know that I wasn't getting my money back on pay-per-click. I mean, I wasn't even breaking even. And with the Facebook ads, I was getting, you know, some likes, but it wasn't translating into conversions and, and definitely not into the money that I was putting into it. And that's when I really, you know, decided that we're going to have to focus on our existing base heavily and that if I'm going to spend this money on, you know, marketing or pay-per-clicks or, or anything like that, I would much rather spend it on, you know, a customer that, um, you know, got duplicates and we're just going to take it back and give them full credit back. Do you know what I mean? That we're just going to take, take care of problems. Like customer gave us the wrong address, the incorrect address. Well, if the package comes back to us, we have to charge them $12 to reship it back out. I mean, that's our cost. So we eat that now, you know, because people expect that and um, they're unhappy when that happens. So I would much rather take that money and put it toward customer satisfaction because I think it will go further for me than a pay-per-click. If you're in a heavily niche market, then pay-per-click might work, but it's from the money standpoint, it just didn't really work for us. So all of our focus really is on our base and making sure that our base is happy and that they have a way to you know, tell their friends and family about us and that we're accessible and that our information is out there, you know, on Pinterest or Facebook or Google Plus or, you know, anything like that, whatever platform they might use. But we're not actively going after it with dollars. You guys are playing the long ball, long ball game where you're saying, all right, we'll take this money, improve the customer experience in the payoff that somewhere down the line, he'll tell his friends, you know, he'll kind of be an advocate for us rather than actually finding him with a dollar through an ad. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because I'm, I'm really concerned that we're out there in front of people that just are not our customer, you know, that, um, and I know you can segment, segment it, you know, a little bit. Um, but you know, there, there might be people out there that see the ad for sure. And that definitely click on it. But, you know, you look at our bounce rate and it's, you know, it's super short. I mean, they're like, Oh no, this isn't for me, but I'm off. You know, so, but meanwhile, you know, just cost you whatever buck and a half, two bucks, three bucks a click for that. And, um, you know, you're not getting that money back. That's, that's totally gone. Uh, so if you're going to risk dollars, I'd rather risk it on customers that already know us and that, uh, you know, are in a situation like, you know, we really need to do more high touch stuff. And we've, we've started to do that, you know, to get in touch with customers directly and, and, uh, you know, cause there are real advocates out there and to make sure that they're super happy and uh and 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 stay in touch that way that that would be money better better spent yeah. because it's a, it's a lot easier to get someone that's bought from you to buy again or just to continue the relationship too oh yeah yeah and you know it's it's just common sense too that it's so expensive to get a new customer you know it's so much cheaper to take care of an existing customer that has already found you has already taken the chance on you has already purchased from you than to go out and get a brand new never heard of you customer before um that's expensive yeah so once you have them make sure my my philosophy make sure that you take care of them and i think so many businesses don't do that it just doesn't 
I don't understand it at all. You know, they do a lot of work to get you all the way in, and then somebody seems to mess it up at the very end point. Do you know what I mean? So, so what are some ways you guys nurture the relationship and kind of keep the customers as big fans? Well, um, you know, what we really started doing, this was in the last year, is um, I started putting handwritten notes together for um, customers. And I'll tell you, that wasn't my idea. I, I follow a lot of the um, social media blogs and and, uh, you know, the people that are out there and, and um, listen in, much like your show, Terry. I mean, you know, honestly, there's there's some great stuff on there that, uh, you know, you pick up the bits and pieces that are going to work for you and then you go from there. So anyway, handwritten notes was something that I heard about and um, I'm like, you know what, I'm going to try it. And uh, and it, it's amazing. You know, it's absolutely amazing because in the digital age now, you know, a text, is, uh, you know, even an email is not as personal as a handwritten mailed letter because you know someone pulled out a piece of paper pulled out a pen took the time aside hand wrote it out and then signed it mailed it dropped it in a mailbox you know there's a lot of effort in that in in today's today's age that's something that has just you know customers have just really loved we don't do that you know we don't do that many i I would like to do more I, i need to do more Another thing that we do too is personal emails back too. Like I'll I'll type the email myself, and and so if customer says something in their uh, in the comment section of their order that it's like, oh, I bought from you 30 years ago. I remember seeing your parents at a show, you know, in Kansas City. Um, you know, I always make sure that my office manager and she's really good about saying here this is an order. In fact, I did one today this morning. I had one this morning. She uh, gave me an order ID number. I looked it up, found the customer's email, put an email together that basically said, hey, I just wanted to take a moment to thank you so much for the comments that you put together. You know, my mom and dad were probably the ones that you met at the show in Kansas City. You know, I can't tell you how grateful we are that you think of us again and again. And if there's anything that we can do for you, you know, please let me know. Um, You know, here's my direct number. I usually throw my number in there. Um, or email me, and then I sign it, you know, Chris Damhorst, owner, Damhorst Toys and, Co- and Puzzles Incorporated. And, um, and you know, probably 70% of the time they reply back and they're like, thank you so much for your note. You know, I really, really appreciate it. So I guess I consider that kind of high touch too and, and very, very important because nobody does that today. I mean, it's, it's, yeah. it's so simple and it's so powerful and it doesn't cost me anything. Um, and it's the right, it's just the right thing to do, you know, to, to maintain that relationship to say, Hey, we're here for you, you know, and, and that's what sales are all about. It's, it's what kind of relationship do you have with your customers? And, and I want to have a good one. I hope, I hope we have a good one. Yeah. Like I think the barrier or like the bar is set so low now that when you just do something as simple as this, it is like, wow. Cause like when I sold my first batch of wallets, oh yeah, it was only like 30 units, but I wrote like a, you know, thank you, like a, you know, four or five sentence thing. And then when I actually met some of my first customers, they're like, they already knew me already. And it was crazy. Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, the bar is set so low that it's, it's easy. I mean, it's not even hard. Um, you know, you got to take the time to do it, but you know, it's it's so well worth it. And, you know, you're establishing a relationship and you're just putting in their minds that memory, you know what I mean, of, of, of that person. Because I think people want to help small businesses. They want them to succeed. And if you're doing the right things, they'll come back to you again because they feel good about buying from you because they, you know, they, they know it's not a heartless, you know, corporation that they're sending their money to. And, and, and if they have a problem, they can get satisfaction. And, yeah. you know, that's huge. That's huge. Yeah, like like I tell people, if you can't 
personalize everything else doesn't make sense but what you can do is you could print out like a thank you card and then just sign like a thousand of these and stuff them in every order right it's not like a written note but at least knowing that you've hand signed it you know it's a certain gesture there too oh right? yeah yeah and you've probably seen these auto pens where you know they try to make the signature look really real where you know it's like a different color or whatever i look at those closely and i'm like did they really sign this and when i look at it and i figure out that they didn't really sign it it takes yeah. all of the sincerity out of it. But like when you really sign it, like I do it with my thank you cards, like signing a thousand really only takes you like an hour. It's really easy. You just sign it and, you know, they don't all look the same, but that's the point of really signing things too. So. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, it, you, you took the time to sit down to sign the card and send it out. And, and that means that you're thinking about your customer and that you want that relationship there. And, um, you know, and, and, and it's just the right thing to do. <laughs> I mean, and it, like you said, it's so simple. So simple. Are you expecting your kids to eventually take over the business too? Like kind of like yourself or have you, have you haven't thought that far yet? <laughs> I have not thought that far ahead. I, you know, uh, cause my sister has two kids, um, as well. So, uh, you know, we've, we've talked about it a little bit, but, you know, I'll tell you, it, that's so far down the road and to, to predict it I, or try to predict it is just, um, I just think it's a, uh, it's an activity in futility that, uh, you know, you just wait till it comes, you cross that bridge when it comes to it. And, you know, if it works out great and if it doesn't, I just want them to be happy as kids and uh you know do do what they love um and try to support that any way that i can and, and of course my nephew and my niece too um so it's you know we'll we'll cross that when we come to it there there are other things that i like to think about besides that. i could go crazy thinking about that so i'm on your facebook page i saw kim kardashian got one for her baby too earlier in june that's pretty cool <laughs> yeah we've we've it's great we've had some some celebrities i you know i was a little bit nervous about putting kim kardashian on there now she's not the i don't know we we've had a lot of celebrities that have helped us in fact uh 2011 we had uh we did uh blue ivy which was beyonce and jay-z's new baby and um we got a lot of media coverage for that and that was that was really interesting to see how how that kind of played out um it was it was really helpful a lot of local media and then they picked up but it, it was really a lesson on how media works because uh, what'll happen is um, you know St. Louis did uh, the three three main St. Louis channels did stories on it and then what happens is is their affiliates in different cities will pick up that same story modify it to fit their format and then replay that story it was a lesson to me is is that if you get local coverage it doesn't necessarily stay local because if it's with NBC or ABC or CBS you know, another news organization in, like, we had the story pop up in Texas, in Kansas, I think one, like, Illinois. So a lot of times these other news affiliates are looking at these other stories, and then, you know, because they're, you know, at the same, you know, main station, um, the same major affiliate, then they'll, they'll pick up that story and do it. So it can really um, mushroom on you quickly with just a local story. So if, you know, think about, trying to get more local stories done on you that a uh, little bit more personal interest kind of thing and it can spread beyond your area um so that was that was really really helpful but uh yeah we've it, it's been nice because um you know like we did david letterman's kids and, and conan o'brien and adam sandler and and uh we did um uh, tom cruise's daughter surrey that that stool actually showed up on uh, an episode of oprah when she was interviewing him 
um, in his uh, house in, uh, I think it was out in Idaho somewhere. So, so that's been really helpful because it'll start to bounce around in there. And, and uh, again, it's kind of a word of mouth type of thing. And uh, Dana Carvey was a big customer of ours for, for a long time and still is. So, um, you know, that kind of stuff is fun, you know what I mean? And, and hopefully sets us apart, too, to say, you know, this is, this is kind of the premium um, you know, of, of the other items that are out there from our competition anyway. All right. Well, thanks again for taking the time to speak with us today, Chris. And thank you, listener, for tuning in. You guys can find out more about Damn Horse Toys at damnhorsetoys.com. And once again, Chris, thank you for coming on, and uh, we'll keep in touch. No, thank you, Terry. Really appreciate it. Uh, it was fun and, and went really quick. I didn't think it was anywhere close to an hour and a half. To get more information about running an online store, visit our website at buildmyonlinestore.com. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Build My Online Store podcast.